Welcome to Uncaged. Uncaged. A show celebrating thought leadership from today's top business leaders. The program provides a voice to amazing executives from around the globe who are shaping the world of business today and mapping the path to the world of commerce tomorrow. And now, please welcome our host, Bant Breen, as we begin another Uncaged episode. Today, we're speaking with Kieran James Lubin. Hey, Kieran, how are you? Very well. How are you? I'm really, really well. I'm excited to talk to you about uh, a lot of things that you're working on. Kieran is the president and CEO at Block Apps, an enterprise blockchain platform company whose mission is to connect individuals, businesses, and industries through global cooperation and trust. Uh, Kieran's done a lot of other amazing stuff. And before we get into block apps and, and go into what you're working on specifically today, let's talk about some of that other stuff. Kieran, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your career to date. Yeah, certainly. Um, I'm from New York City, um, pretty technical person. So I did an undergrad in math, I actually played football in undergrad. Together, that was sort of too much. I, I went to a serious football team. A couple people ended up in the NFL and uh, wow. up there. Um, I started, actually did research for a year still at Princeton and then went on to grad school at Berkeley um, starting in 2012. Uh, it's also in the math department there. Um, had a good run at that, um, passed my qualifying exam, et cetera, um, but found blockchain actually um, in the summer right after I passed the qualifying exam. So for those who don't know, uh, uh, at least at Berkeley, a qualifying exam is sort of the last big hurdle you have to do before you just work, you know, do all your research and write to the PhD. Um, yeah. It's a three hour oral, you know, it took uh, several months of prep, uh, very intense, you know, you're on a chalkboard and really smart people ask you questions yeah. that you may know the answers to or not. I mean, I, I uh, just finished my doctorate last uh, spring, and uh, the the process of standing in front of uh, kind of that committee is is quite intense. <laughs> it's, it's a, but it's it's a good trial by fire, I suppose. Indeed. So actually, right after that, I you know I knew I was going to take like a couple months without thinking too much about math. Um, and ended up getting involved with the Ethereum project. Um, so. I worked on it, uh, I guess, summer of 2014, and still mostly from the technical side. But um, turned out that my kind of theoretical and math background was useful for analyzing how the protocol would function, understanding. So uh, blockchains are very technically intricate. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't really know that before I worked on the, the project. I sort of thought, of, you know, I was aware of Bitcoin even in 2010, 2011, I can remember it being $3 and I <laughs> not buying really any of it. it was, uh, cool. I think we all have those stories, which is, uh, I remember having a colleague who was pestering me to buy some Bitcoin. And recently I just saw a picture of him and he owns a giant kind of one of these like mining farms now. <laughs> so, so I think uh, he definitely bought some. I, I think I, I think I own like one. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Well, hindsight, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, but, you know, at the time I, I didn't really 
grasp what it was. So, I mean, I guess the interesting thing about Bitcoin and sort of all blockchains is that they, they present a uh, means of, um, I don't know, maintaining a core set of data ledger of activity that actually right. does not require a central counterparty. And that sort of a central counterparty like a bank or something who's uh, maintaining everyone's accounts, et cetera. And, um, you know, so I, I sort of thought that Bitcoin was just some e-money thing. And then when I looked into it, um, it's actually really hard to do the thing that it did technically. It's, it's sort of a cryptographic miracle that it all works. And, um, you know, the, the, the protocol um, remains robust today, Bitcoin, Ethereum, et cetera. You know, there have been plenty of sort of high profile hacks of these systems, but they've all been at the edges, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, an exchange, a poorly coded smart contract, that sort of thing. But the, the fundamental systems have proved sound. And so um, this it's, it's an enduring innovation at this point. And so uh, in working on the project, I kind of realized that there was a lot of technical depth. And then the kind of big question in my mind was, okay, how does this reach sort of a mass audience? You know, right. the, uh, I did a conference in early 2015, um, with O'Reilly Media, it was like a big San Francisco Fort Mason conference. Yep. Uh, and the same week, I uh, did a more academic conference with a bunch of super crypto nerds who were talking about the nitty gritty of the protocols and crypto economics and that sort of thing. And I kind of realized that, so the O'Reilly conference got sort of the mainstream, somewhat businessy audience. Right. Uh, crypto conference that really smart, you know, nerds, uh, kind of anarchist vibe. Um, and I was like, okay, these worlds are going to meet to some degree. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to be these yeah. all bridging people it. that want to basically have DeFi take over the world, basically. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how we got started. Right. So, um, you know, during this time I was working with our CTO um, and we kind of for technical interest started building out like our own version of Ethereum, uh, mostly to just deeply understand how it works. And um, our third co-founder, our chief product, Product officer uh, Wong, uh, our CTO is uh, James from Lizdiar. Um, uh, he and Jim had worked together in a previous company uh, in China, actually, and they were mm -hmm. kind of looking around for a project to do. Um, and uh, they had some; they were kicking around some ideas. Jordan, you may not know, they were like discussing a you know dating app at, at some point. <laughs> and it's like they, and they're not the right guys to do a dating app. They're you know wrong, wrong age, very technical, you know. <laughs> Um, and then the idea kind of came up that, uh, you know, I don't know if Jim didn't even tell Victor what he was working on with me, but, you know, we all came together um, and realized that this is the opportunity that blockchain was going to present a big new paradigm kind of along the lines of what the internet did, uh, underpinning, you know, the future of global commerce, if you will. Um, but, you know, we had to figure out the how it was going to happen from an adoption perspective. And we kind of, um, we took a, a B2B, you know, um, position very early on. Uh, so most people thought that, well, consumers will just kind of, you know, get Bitcoin, get Ether, um, start using the currencies in their day-to-day -day lives. And we sort of thought that it would be more like, um, you know, we'd be a business like Oracle basically where, um, all of our banking info, or depending on which bank you use, obviously, but ends up stored in an Oracle database somewhere. Um, but if you ask 100 people on the street, maybe two of them know uh, who Oracle actually is, and that it was the <laughs> infrastructure layer uh, that was the way to get the whole world 
uh, onto blockchain, if you will, in that you wouldn't really notice, you know, uh, your day-to-day -day life would be better, um, but as a consumer, you know, you wouldn't have that much visibility into the system. So that's kind of how BlockApps was born. Um, so, so BlockApps really kind of extended out from what you had been working on with Ethereum, with the blockchain, but really I would say it sounds like more of a B2B approach, you know, focus um and you know probably an enterprise approach so tell me how that's uh developed and manifested today i mean what are you guys working on and what is block apps uh focus its activities on yeah yeah um great question so it's it's gone very well and you know um we were one of the first if not the first sort of enterprise blockchain companies uh, in which sort of the aim would be to have enterprises consume the technology like they do everything else ERPs, databases, middleware, et cetera, um, kind of to some degree downplaying the currency aspects. So to date, we still have no customers that uh, are really interested in handling, you know, digital assets of a freely trading nature like Bitcoin, Ether, et cetera. Uh, they're focused on um, operational use cases for their business, uh, supply chain being the most common. Um, and so Kind of through the years, we uh, developed sort of areas of where we have really strong demand uh, and a good existing customer base. And we started to kind of hone in on their needs. So one of those in particular is um, within agribusiness, we have an offering called Trace Harvest. Uh, oh, great. Uh, Bayer Crop Science has been a customer of ours for, for a long time now. And it's really inspired sort of by the, the work we've done together. Of course, they're, they're a user of Trace Harvest. Um, the challenge is traceability. So right. uh, you're seeing a lot of kind of top-down, so from the consumer, from the regulator, uh, from corporate board level, uh, pressure on companies to be sort of more transparent, more sustainable in their operations. Um, and it turns out that it's a big technical challenge to do uh, sustainability and to have more disclosure around, um, okay, I've received a product as a consumer, what's in it? You have to follow it backwards through the supply chain and maybe a really complicated value chain, especially as businesses have become much more specialized in their focus over the last, let's say, 50 years, right? You don't have really big vertically integrated conglomerates. You have, um, you know, big corporations have 100,000 vendors, each of which does some tiny function that helps create that you know, overall offering that they end up bringing to the consumer. So as the value chains have gotten more complicated, there's a lot less, the, the infrastructure for managing um, the value chains and, and having any kind of broader disclosure of all the things that happened to the consumer just does not exist. So. Um, in so, sense, so in so in a project like that, um, how do you guys play a role? Are you have you essentially created your own kind of blockchain to deliver that, or a, a, a variation? How is it functioning? Yeah, yeah, um, that's a great question. So we have our own blockchain platform. So it's kind of yeah. based on our work with Ethereum that we've extended it for the enterprise use case. So enterprises they need larger data sets, more mm -hmm. transactional throughput, a different data privacy model, um, things like middleware to help integrate very nicely into the enterprise IT stack. So we've added things like that on top okay. of the protocol. And so we have a platform servicing all of this. So we uh, have the blockchain aspect, um, but we also work in the industry kind of with its needs specifically. So um, there are different IT systems serving agribusiness versus 
um, you know, you, you may need some data that uh, actually applies to the planting and growing activity. And we've worked uh, with um, Electric Bayer and, and other similar companies. They've got a product called Climate Field View, which allows the growers to capture all of their planting activity. And that is a data input to trace harvest um, that helps close the loop on the overall traceability. So it's kind of right. players. We provide the blockchain itself, uh, the network of all the parties that are you know, transacting and uh, sharing data as products move through the supply chain, but also kind of industry specific um, data models, technical integration, so that um, it's you know very relevant to agribusiness and there's not big steps to go from uh, as you onboard to, to yeah no I mean I think it's a fascinating project that you're outlining I um, remembered working with a, a client uh, Mondelese on tracking cocoa bean usage uh, they're the largest world's largest chocolate producer and I I think that you're highlighting a, a challenge that a lot of companies are are looking at it's an opportunity as well as people really want that complete experience and so. Um, your product fits a perfect role in playing that connective tissue from literally the planting all the way through to the, the customer experience. And, and I can imagine that that blockchain, that, that supply chain role plays a huge role in a, a million other ways. I, I imagine probably, uh, who knows, maybe you're the one of the people that said, hey, you know, General Motors, you might have a microchip shortage coming. Uh, but uh, how are we seeing it play a role in, in other businesses and in broadly in business in general today? Yeah, um, this is a great question. So, you know, the, the kind of the big commonality of the use case is complex value chain, typically physical products are moving across companies. And of course that applies to lots of different sectors. We've got some going, uh, I can't say much about it, but in defense, for instance, um, we are working uh, a lot in the oil and gas sector as well. So mm -hmm. uh, very complex operational supply chains there, but the project we've announced recently is with, um, so there's a, an interesting thing that's happened over the last few years is people have figured out the right way to consume blockchain technology. It's a very collaborative technology. And mm -hmm. uh, to that end, um, I, I believe they've got 10 members, but 10 really large oil and gas companies got together to form a consortium called Blockchain for Energy. So um, it's on mobile, Chevron, Schlumberger, uh, Repsol, folks like that. Uh, got together and informed, you know, I think their structure is a nonprofit, essentially an industry group that would uh, be sort of a forum whereby they could work together uh, and uh, use the technology sort of itself. Mm -hmm. so the, the use case we've picked up with them, you know, this is in the press already, is around their seismic uh, data management process. So for, before these companies um, drill, they, they do seismic surveys to give them a better sense of whether it's worth drilling in a particular uh, location or not. And the, you know, they tend to be, um, energy companies don't do things alone. By and large, uh, they do joint ventures. And, and so one company will take 40% of a particular project and then 20 and 20 and you know, down the line. Um, so they're very used to working together. Uh, and the rights around the data that they collect are uh, tracked in a, if they are tracked, it's tracked on paper. It's a very complicated paper-based process. Uh, and what they do is they wait for someone to drill. Um, and then they say, oh, I think you misused the seismic rights. And I think mm -hmm. they on that. So they're, they're always, you know, um, these create uh, conflicts that have a meaningful monetary impact. 
impact. Uh, yeah, say. absolutely. And I can only see it uh, playing a role in several other verticals as well. You know, you've been talking about the emergence of block apps over the last couple of years as I think anybody has who's been awake has seen news on Ethereum and how Ethereum could be used in a million ways. And it sounds like you guys really are the enterprise, kind of the enterprise platform for that use case. Um, but I'd be curious to hear how the pandemic has shaped things for you guys um, and what opportunities it may have presented, any challenges that uh, you, you guys have gone through. Um, it's been an interesting moment for all of us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, pandemic has certainly been challenging, right? So I think um, the thing with blockchain technology, it's a new foundational technology. So in some ways, um, the pandemic accelerated IT adoption broadly. You know, it's great for Zoom. Um, uh, we have to be on a Zoom call, of course, right now. Uh, it was great for, I guess, um, and I don't mean this as an insult, incremental technologies, fast installation process, help you cope with working remotely, you know, uh, things that, you know, uh, came into focus really quickly. And there was just, um, you know, a huge initial shift. And we, so from March to September or so, we had a bunch of deals in the pipeline and everyone said, hang on, hang on, we got to figure out how to function, not in the office. Like, we'll get back to you. I know we were about to, uh, sign this contract, but, you know, give me a couple months at a minimum, you know, budget freezes at uh, lots of big companies, et cetera. And so very challenging on the front end, you know, all of our sales forecasts, you know, uh, overnight became irrelevant. Um, and, it, you know, it's, it's back now. The world is pretty normal. But in the long run, it made people take a hard look at their operations. To your point, supply chain demand planning. It's gotten way, way harder and it, it continues to be hard. You know, like there was the initial shock, you know, PPE and, and all that sort of thing, but we're just seeing, um, you know, much higher prices. We're having a really hard time sourcing things from different countries. You know, uh, obviously the uh, just restrictions around cross-border trade have increased. Yeah, I mean, I just can imagine right now with all of the residual supply chain issues that we're facing, the product that you offer is crucial for everyone. I can even imagine for all the, you know, the holiday businesses, the companies that kind of make their year end come together in the next couple months, uh, they're probably all trying to figure out, do they, do they have enough product? And it's, it's made people realize they need to collaborate a little more. Like they, you know, when people have shortages because one of their top tier vendors or maybe a you know, tier two vendor had a shortage. And so if you can get a little bit more communication going on further down in the supply chain, you'll be just much able to service that end consumer demand. And there are no systems that I'm aware of that do this well that are not blockchain based, right? People buy yeah. and have one hop of visibility. And, you know, sometimes people will tell you a little bit about their inventory, et cetera, but um, it's got to change. Like, you know, the, uh, we've seen what demand shocks can do and probably this is not the only time that it's going to happen. Uh, so people, again, they're warming to um, the, you know, a, a different architecture at the center of the enterprise that makes it, you know, less of a distinction between what's internal and what's external. Like ERPs mm -hmm. very much were built with a, we know everything, it's vertically integrated, you know, all of our operations, we log it in a system perspective. 
so much now depends on external companies that you need it to at least augment the ERP with a system that makes that collaboration, data sharing, transactional activity tracking just much smoother. Yeah. And so it sounds to me like there was that bumpy moment during the pandemic, but it probably was, strangely enough, a moment where companies actually are having to do the things that perhaps might've been talked about by the one person in the company, the, the, the person that was kind of like, hey, you know, we gotta do this thing, we gotta do this, we gotta push in this area. And now it, it becomes so clear that everyone has to be focused on these efforts. And, and, it, and it really becomes kind of an operational change agent. I mean, this type of activity is going to impact the whole shape of enterprises. I can see that. But I mean, as you think about the next couple of years, um, where do you see the business evolving? And are there specific verticals that you're going to stay closer to in the in the short term versus others? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So um, first, I'll mention that we're you know venture back business, uh, so you know high growth expectations, uh, adding people, adding lots of new customers, uh, eventually more investment, uh, you know all that sort of, sort of thing. Um, so it's you know fast moving. I think mm-hmm. we will stay in a couple key verticals that we've, we've called out. So um, you know in, in agribusiness, uh, Bayer's the biggest player in their current mm-hmm. customer, as far as the you know uh, as far as seed businesses go, uh, and we're working on the other really big players to kind of complete the value chain. So mm-hmm. blockchains um, present the opportunity to have uh, kind of fairly complete networks where you've got most if not all of the key players in a particular sort of vertical subsegment. So ag is one we're going to just continue putting energy uh, into. Um, the energy sector as well is a, is a focus area. We've got a, a really good head start there. Um, uh, great relationships with some of the really big players. They're also, you know, they're under the same types of sustainability pressure that we've been talking about, you know, that um, at the board level, you know, courts are telling them they need to lower their carbon footprint faster, and they have real challenges even computing and attributing it in a complex supply chain setting. You know, so yeah. um, that's. The I was thinking thing. about that the other day, actually, as uh, you know, we were we were trying to calculate our own carbon footprint, and it is it's it's quite a complicated process when you really try to do it in a complete way. Um, but you're absolutely right. These are the types of challenges that every company is thinking about how they can really, I'd say, offer a more sustainable solution. And I actually, I, I think it's, you know, coming from the world of marketing and communications, it's, it's a great way of telling a broader story too. Uh, people do want to know where things are from, how they're made. And so there's probably a, a piece of communications that can, can be played in here as well. Kieran, it's been amazing to hear the latest with Block Apps and, and also all the amazing things that you've been a, a key player in developing. Um, if someone wanted to, to connect with you and learn more about what you guys are up to, where should they find you? Our website is blockapps.net, B-L-O-C-K-A-P-P-S.net, or if you just Google Block Apps site, I think we're the, the first hit. Uh, and also folks can feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I assume you can put my full name in the uh, you know, episode notes or whatever you, but Kieran James Lubin, uh, K-I-E-R-E-N-J-M-E-S dash L-U-B-I-N. 
Excellent. Yeah, I don't know how many Kieran James Lubins there's going to be on LinkedIn. I think you're okay there. Uh, thank you so much for being on Uncage today. We've been speaking with Kieran James Lubin. He's the president and CEO at Block Apps. And as you can see, Kieran has played a really key role in, in the development of Ethereum, especially in the context of the enterprise and through the company that uh, he has helped found and founded Block Apps, an enterprise blockchain platform company whose mission is to connect individuals, businesses, and industries through global co cooperation and trust. And so anybody who's working in the agriculture business, the oil and gas business, and pretty much I'd say any business that has a uh, a solid blockchain. Uh, give Kieran a call and uh, excited to hear the, how this uh, company continues to develop. Kieran, thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for your time today. Cheers.